Hi there, Dr. Dan here. Thank you so much for listening to the Herbal Hour podcast. We have an excellent episode planned today with CJ Vashuta. We talk about psychedelic shamanism and a lot of great stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy. Also, I wanted to make a special announcement. I am currently offering free initial wellness consults. So if you need some help picking out an herb for any kind of health goal you have, help with diet, exercise, mindfulness techniques, anything. This is something that I'm uh, offering people in the meantime before I start my clinic in the early spring, summer area of this year. Uh, Naturopathic clinic focusing in mental health, hormones, chronic diseases, um, that manner of thing. So before I start that, I've been offering wellness consults for people and um, several of my clients have been amazing and we've been working on such great things so i wanted to share that opportunity with the listeners of the herbal hour podcast uh you can go on drdans.org that's d-o-c-t-o-r-d-a-n-s dot org uh to book a free initial consult so it's 15 minutes we can talk a little bit about your health goals I'm not offering treatment, diagnosis, prescriptions, anything of that matter. This is more dealing with your energetics, um, helping coach you, guide you, and whatever else you need. Um, so if you're interested, check that out. Um, no commitment is necessary to follow up with the advanced consults. Um, so you can see if it's right for you. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Welcome to the Herbal Hour podcast. We have an amazing guest today. Funny story. I actually met him uh, on a trip to the airport through Lyft. I was bringing my cat with me um, and we kind of started talking about, you know, shamanism, psychedelics. And then I was like, hey, man, why don't you come on the podcast? So today we have that guest. His name is uh, CJ Vashuta. He's a coach, mentor and spiritual advisor leading his clients to their greatness. CJ is a Federal Aviation Administration instructor and a certified flight instructor, working on his PhD from the University of Life on Earth. He worked in wilderness therapy for eight years and is a student at Lightsong Mystery School in Portland, Oregon. So obviously there's plenty of stuff to already talk about with just that intro. Um, to get us started, CJ, tell us a little bit about your 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 path, right? You know, you, you're a flight instructor, you're doing a spiritual advising, you were in the wilderness. How did... How does this all tie together? Man, what a great question. Um, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, like how did I how did I get into all of that? Uh, you know, the best answer, honestly, is just by chance, right? Mm. It's just following following the natural flow of life. Uh, and and responding to whatever came up in front of me and choosing uh, choosing what would bring me joy in that moment. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I could I could launch into a story of uh, you know how I was uh, emotionally and and sexually abused as a child and how that led me down to wanting to heal myself and so mm-hmm. that got me into wilderness therapy and. Uh, which is true. And, you know, I could also talk about how that path also led me down like the path of, you know, psychedelic and plant medicine use to again, heal me. Um, and, uh, and I mean, in terms of flying, I mean, 
you know, it's flying. That's just awesome, right? It's, it's, uh, I went to flight school right after, uh, well, one year after I graduated high school, um, I originally went to the University of Utah for architecture. And then I did, I lasted one semester. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Seven years to draw a house. No way. So I dropped out, became like a ski bum, you know, for the rest of that year, which was awesome. Um, And then went to flight school that next August thinking, all right, flying. This is, this is my career. You know, here I am 19, like, this is what I'll do for the rest of my life was, which is absolutely absurd, Mm -hmm. uh, that we have that expectation of ourselves and of young people. So, um, did that for a while. And then, uh, was like, okay, there's something not right here. Took some swirling tones in life and ended up in wilderness therapy. Um, Mm working at working as a as a field instructor with you know at-risk youth and uh, young adults helping them get their life back on track which was a just a reflection of me showing me how uh how how hurt i was you know how traumatized i had been in my childhood um and uh that it was okay to not be okay right that's really where i learned because uh it took me until my early twenties to actually admit that there was something, there there was something a little uh, different with me, and I needed help. You know, I mm. thought that the amount of self-loathing that I had throughout my teens, uh, throughout my twenties, uh, was normal. Mm. Yeah, so. it's trauma in our culture is is so widespread. I mean, I don't think I've ever met someone who didn't have something that hurt them in their early life. And maybe it's just the nature of the world or the culture or society, you know, hurt people, hurt other people type of thing. And I think collectively there's, um, there's a lot of healing that, that needs to happen and it affects uh, all of us. It's an interesting place to kind of talk about uh, shamanism because the traditions of shamanism are about going deep into your mind, into your spirit and uh, healing yourself so that you can help heal others, right? That's kind of the the healer's journey. I wanted to I wanted to ask you about flying. <laughs> flying has always fascinated me. Like I, there's been times where I even kind of pictured myself flying and trying to imagine what it would feel like because I really like driving cars. But I'm imagining what if I was in the air flying anywhere? Can you can you tell me a little bit about? your best experiences flying and, and what it feels like, especially for someone who's, uh, you know, been developing awareness such as yourself, you must have a kind of unique take on it. Boy, uh, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating angle right there too. Yeah. I mean, flying, you know, I think Leonardo da Vinci said once man has tasted flight, he will forever wander the ground looking upwards. Mm. Um, or something like that. And, you know, it's true. You know, it's absolutely true. The, I remember the first time I went for my solo flight, uh, you know, so you, the, the the flight training process is you go, uh, with up, you go up with an, an instructor for, you know, 10 to 30 hours, just depending, and uh, you get the basic maneuvers down. And then once you are competent in, in aero, in, um, air work uh, and landing and taking off, obviously, then they're like, all right, cool. It's time for you to go fly alone. So 
I was down in Farmington, New Mexico, and we had just done a couple of touch and goes where you land, keep going and take off uh, mm. and stay in the pattern. Right. Um, and he's like, cool. Uh, it's time for you to solo. Like, Oh, oh shit. Okay. Did you feel just your heart just drop into your stomach? Kind of um, thing? No, it actually came up to my throat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the opposite way. Yeah. Exactly. He's like, Oh, okay. It's just a lot of construction. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, so he gets out and I take the runway and I set full power and he didn't, he didn't close the door all the way. So the door popped mm. open on me right as I was taken off. And I was Oof. like, yeah. So, you know, the doors and it's not flapping cause doors don't really flap in the airplane. <laughs> um, That's good, man. That would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, you know, it was just, it was, it was a very surreal thing to be like, wow, this is, this is responsibility. You know, this is what responsibility means. Like, I'm the only person up in this plane, and I'm the only one who can land safely. Mm. And, you know, like, where else in life do, you know, young people get that? Mm. Honestly, you know, it's not, I mean, there's like maybe something is there in driving cars, but, you know, something goes wrong, you just pull over to the side and you stop, right? I mean, that's Mm. easy. Mm hmm. Like flying an airplane, uh, you can't. You can't just pull over. <laughs> that always uh, blew my mind. Thinking of you know uh, uh, like a Boeing uh, 757 mm. uh, pilot who has you know however many hundreds of people on board, mm-hmm. like just trying to imagine how that feels having so much responsibility. Like when they feel mm. turbulence or something, <laughs> or when something goes wrong, and they feel like literally it's they're in charge of, you know, hundreds of lives that, that must be, that seems like insane pressure. Not only is their own life in jeopardy if something goes wrong, but so is everyone else's. Like, I think we've become very accustomed to flying, especially people who fly often. But at the end of the day, like flying is moving in like a steel tube, hundreds of miles an hour in the air. And like the fact that it is even possible and doesn't malfunction all the time is in and of itself kind of like a miracle, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I would, I would venture to say that that moment is mm. why pilots train, right? Mm. Um, uh, the average 757 uh, pilot isn't actually doing any flying. Uh, the mm. plane is flying itself, right? Mm. Um, the pilot is there for when shit goes wrong. Mm. Right. And so, and so through the training, so much of it is that uh, preparation for, okay, cool, you just lost an engine. What do you do? You know, mm. like, what does that process actually look like? And so there's this, there's this intense focus um, uh, that is uh, akin to, like, I've heard, I've heard neurosurgeons talk about the process of, you know, doing brain surgery and how they're just so focused that everything else around them just drops, you know, mm. and they're just, they're so focused yet they're so calm, right? And, and in a shamanic perspective, this is them moving with spirit, moving just completely mm. in line with consciousness, mm. right? And uh, I mean, you know, you can have the, I mean, that's flow, right? Anytime you step into flow is you getting out of the way and this stream of consciousness, which is synonymous to me with spirit, um, just comes in and you, your vessel is, uh, 
is almost moving by itself because there's mm. this greater force that, than you doing it. Um, and it, it's funny that we're actually going here. You know, this is this is kind of the it is that I teach is I have I have this program called Tools for Mastery, um, and the, the mastery right is not the extent of human potential. Mm. Right. Mastery is the doorway to human potential. Mm. Right. First, you need to master something so that you can remove your anxiety, remove your like, like, oh, your humanness, essentially. Right. All of that past traumatic conditioning so that you can get out of the way and become a hollow bone in shamanism. That's what they call it. So that consciousness would just flow right Mm. through you and and you are you just you're 100% present you know that's you see these you see these incredible uh athletes uh doing just amazing feats uh whether it be you know squirrel shooting you know right by right by these cliffs or doing the paragliding down these canyons and you know i mean one spot you're dead uh race car drivers i mean whatever it is you know they're just so so empty mm. essentially they're completely in the present moment because the present moment is so dangerous that there's no other option. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this idea in Buddhism of uh, no minds. Mm, yeah. And not like mindlessness, but like it seems to be a higher state of consciousness beyond thinking. It's like thinking is integrated into action. Uh, a thought doesn't happen. And then you think about it and do something. The thought is the action immediately. Um, it's more like a reaction, you, but you're there um, present. There was this really interesting book I read, what you say has been bringing up. It's called uh, Zen in the Art of Archery. Hmm. Have you heard of this book? It rings as faint bell, but mm-hmm. please tell me more. It was, uh, it was written by a German man who, who went to Japan to learn archery from uh, essentially a Zen master. Uh, and what was very fascinating is that in the Zen tradition, they would use these kind of uh, masteries or crafts, arts, as a, a mode of increasing awareness. So it, the Zen master who was teaching archery was really just teaching him meditation. But to be a good archer, you have to be completely focused. And the book is really incredible because he's, you know, like a typical Westerner, like kind of was skeptical about uh, all this like fancy things that the Zen master was saying about what sages can do. Um, And at the end of the book, he's doing incredible things um, Mm. kind of outlining his process of how he got to that no mind and what that actually even is. Mm. And he was talking about, you know, his master would do this and he was able to actually do it as well. They would shoot like at hundreds of yards, probably like a hundred yards actually with like a longbow in complete pitch darkness, mm. like without any ability to see. And his master was like, you know, feel where it needs to go. Like, don't think about it. You don't need to see. And they were hitting like bullseyes. And I'm like, that's amazing. There's a whole mode of being that is greater than thinking that is greater than self-doubt that if you train it to a certain level, you can do things that seem like you know, miracles. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in the beginning, he could hardly, with all his focus, 
hit the target, but at the end of it, he's shooting basically, you know, with his eyes closed essentially and uh, mm-hmm. hitting the target. Um, so that speaks to some, some kind of greater uh, ability that can be gained. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. What else gives you that state of uh, no mind? Personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Personally. Oh man. Um, climbing yoga. Mm. Um, uh, being in nature, you know, mm. uh, sitting in the desert, sitting in the woods, sitting next to a river. Um, and, uh, I mean, when I sit down, uh, play some flutes, um, I can get there. Not all, not all the time, but it's definitely a good access point. And, um, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but I've got a drum just mm-hmm. right here to, you know, shamanic, shamanic drumming, um, is good to, to get there. And, uh, let's see what else. Um, I mean, honestly love making, you know, I can get there sometimes it's, you know, sometimes my humanness creeps in and it's like, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and you know, probably the most common one is driving. Mm. Yeah. I get that too with driving. Yeah. I got some, I got some, uh, some good music on mm-hmm. and I, purposely don't let my mind wander and I try to like drive really well and I just like focus on driving like not because like I'm afraid that something might happen but I just try to like drive in the lines I try to speed up nicely like I just do it so that I'm I'm there and I really uh, I enjoy even just you know feeling like the engine under you and feeling the brake and feeling like the tires um, almost like an extension of your body Mm -hmm. Uh, another Mm -hmm. thing that I think is really good for no minds. I don't know if you have any experience with martial arts. Mm. That is probably one of the, especially like high intensity martial arts, like when we're doing like full contact sparring or even when um, I did an amateur kickboxing match that like that, the intensity of the situation, it forces you into the moment. Mm -hmm. And I always felt I would go into like Sunday, Sunday morning sparring practice in Muay Thai. That's, um, that's Thailand's uh, kickboxing art, essentially that uses elbows and knees. I would go into training, right? And it doesn't matter how I felt, what happened yesterday, if I was tired in the morning, I would go in there and I just was unable to think about anything other than what was there in front of me. Like I wasn't thinking about what I would have for lunch I wasn't thinking about what someone would say to me. I was just there and I was experiencing it, Uh, especially with the sparring because it's so it's so fast paced that you can't like think like, oh, he's punching me. I'm going to move my head like it has to be an automatic reaction. The second you get in your head, like you already got hit by something. Um, So I always felt like really cleansed and purified after after training as if it was, you know, a spiritual activity in some sense. And that's kind of how I view martial arts is that they are another vehicle to uh, develop the spirit. And of course the Zen tradition has always been big on um, incorporating martial arts as, as part of their meditative training even. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, yeah, I mean, martial arts, that kind of physical duress. Yeah. That's in, in, an incredible way to step out of the way for yourself. And yeah, it makes sense that you feel cleansed and purified after that, right? I mean, so much energy pumping through and mm-hmm. taking all that doubt away from you because you can't doubt, just as you said, you can't doubt, you know? Yeah, doubt is the enemy. Doubt will, yeah. will end up in a very, very bad result. <laughs> so you were mentioning before that you got into wilderness therapy. 
Can you talk a little bit more about what wilderness therapy is, how it works, what it's for? Absolutely. Uh, wilderness therapy. If I was, if I was the king of the universe, which I'm not quite yet, um, I would <laughs> working on it. Yeah. Working on it. Uh, I would make, I would make wilderness therapy a mandatory semester of high school. Mm. Um, it would, it, it, you know, the, the, essentially, uh, the 60,000 view of it is teaching kids, uh, teaching young people, uh, what they don't learn in school, AKA mm. emotional regulation, uh, personal responsibility, cause and effect was, uh, um, and just like that, that awareness of self as well as awareness beyond self. Right. So wilderness therapy, uh, essentially is taking at risk youth and young adults out into the middle of nowhere. Uh, and they stay out there for three months at a time all year round, uh, and helping them get their life back on track. Um, you know, a lot of the times they have gone down fairly detrimental routes, uh, to varying degrees as well. Some of them are like really, really hurting. Uh, well, I, I'll say that all of them are really hurting on some level. That's, you know, why they're acting out, right? I mean, there's that saying, all, all behavior is communication. Bad mm. behavior is bad communication. So if mm. someone's acting negatively or bad, uh, mm. then they're communicating something. And unfortunately, we don't live in a society where most parents understand and know have the wherewithal to to pick up on what it is that that their kids are communicating right so um so they get sent out to wilderness uh and it's you know i, I mean nothing short of magic happens mm -hmm. you know they're they're out there away from uh the general pressures of society and the influences of you know media and all that stuff and uh for the a lot of them, it's their very first experience to see a, a really dark night sky um, or to experience, like to see their inner self in a, in a supportive way. Um, so you know, therapists, you know, licensed medical family therapists come out once a week and do therapist uh, therapy sessions with them, and as a staff, I would sit in on on those sessions with uh, with the clients that I was specifically assigned to that week. Mm. Um, and so we would have you know this therapy session, and then throughout the week, I would go back to that therapy session and help implement the treatment plan, uh, uh, aka uh, uh, trigger these kids, and then uh, you know put them through. Uh, stressful situations and then help them de-escalate and like work their way through it instead of getting over it or around it uh, mm -hmm. actually working with them to you know face what's there and and heal were these sessions in the wilderness yes that's beautiful i i kind of have this dream of uh, having a clinic like in the woods or something where you like you give somebody some herbs, you talk about their life like outside in nature. I can't imagine a more therapeutic setting. The conventional medical model is like you sit in like, you know, this like sterile, like white walled, boring laboratory kind of thing. And I wonder how much that aspect uh, impedes the healing of people. Because um, as we both know, the shamanic traditions are very big on ritual and setting up like a ritual setting as uh, 
a mode of transformation of the mind or healing, which is kind of synonymous, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it would, I mean, the loss of nature in society in general is a huge loss to the human psyche, you know, to, mm. to, to the, a human's well-being, you know, uh, I mean, just walking down, even in Portland, you know, living in the concrete jungle in New York, it's even worse, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, big cities in mean, Chicago are like, whew, man. Uh, and just to bring that closer, as you said, to sit in a sterile, you know, hospital room with a doctor, you know, all white, straight lines everywhere. Uh, it's very limiting to, to, the, the, I mean, the conscious mind, uh, as well as the spiritual soul, you know? Um, so, yeah. Mm. So I wanted to ask something else about the, uh, wilderness therapy. Do you also, um, learn and teach about, uh, survival skills, like how to survive in nature and, you know, how to start a fire, how to set up a shelter, that kind of thing as well? Yeah, absolutely. So it depends upon the it depends upon the program that you go to. The one that I worked uh, the one that I worked at was pretty well balanced between hard skills and soft skills. Soft mm-hmm. skills being the you know therapeutic, and hard skills being the survival stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we would have to uh, we we call it bust a fire, right? Like you got to bust a fire, man. <laughs> which was with a bow drill. So you got a little, little bow. Um, and a stick and a, a, a rock and a stick and another stick that you put the stick on and then you rub it back and forth really quick, you know, and then it lights into fire. Um, that was really cool. And shelter building, but no like foraging uh, or that kind of stuff, unfortunately. Um, mm. What is uh, foraging? Foraging is... Oh, foraging. Gotcha. Foraging, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So they would they would know how to set up everything, but... So would they be taught at least how to hunt or make like a bow or something like that? No, not a, not at this program. There's other programs that do uh, more hard skill focus where they, you know, mm. it is like, this is how you make, like they have to make their own backpacks at a point. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise they just have a tope mm. and they're like carrying it around. So mm-hmm. what do you think? doing that kind of thing gives you like what does it help you with what does it give you psychologically because it's such a primal thing right to be able to just survive out in nature like that's true life in a sense for us yeah well you know i I think it goes back to kind of what i was saying when i you know took off for the first time responsibility Mm. you know that that sense of of uh self-sovereignty which i know is kind of a you know double thing but mm-hmm. uh, you know that that sovereignty in oneself and that that assurity the confidence uh, in yourself to be able to take care of yourself um and to know that uh you're not entitled right uh the world doesn't owe you anything uh, not to say that it doesn't want to give you everything mm. right but it doesn't owe you anything and to know that um your life is up to you, that your happiness is up to you. And it's ultimately the most important thing for you to tend to, Mm. um, you know, it's just, it's living out there in the wilderness. It's all a metaphor, right? Like if you don't build a shelter, 
and you go to bed without a shelter and it rains, you're going to get wet and you're going to get cold and you're going to be miserable. Mm. So it's like the consequences of our actions or inactions are magnified in this uh, more natural setting, which we're usually uh, bubbled from, right? So Mm. if you're living out in the wilderness and you're feeling kind of lazy or tired, um, but you know you need to make a shelter, you know you need to get some food because maybe who knows when you'll be able to get some food and maybe you'll even die from it. Um, like procrastination isn't like an option because like every action is directly to your survival. Whereas we live like in, you know, society and civilization, which has, you know, amazing benefits, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely, it's amazing to have running water. It's amazing to have food accessible anytime. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to have like a nice cushion to sit down, to meditate on. Like those are not bad things, uh, but like putting yourself through the hardship of being in that environment seems so, so helpful to be able to live in civilization as somebody who is, you know, self-sovereign, as you were saying, and, you know, doesn't, you know, nature gives you everything, but you need to go out for it, right? Like the food is out there, but you need to find it. You need to work. Like the tools for the shelter are out there, but you need to find them and build it. Uh, Everything is there, but it's won't like, it won't just be given to you. And if you are in nature complaining or whining, like you're done, right? Like that's it. Like you're just wasting the little energy you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you nailed it on the head. It's 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 beautiful, you know. I mean, I I think that humans suffer from uh, the disease called ease. Mm. Right. We all want it quickly now, especially in this day and age, which um, is uh, is a it's a loss, you know, it's that, that, that struggle is really where that appreciation for life comes in. The appreciation for oneself, one's ability to achieve. Mm-hmm. There's this uh, comedian made a joke related to what you were saying. And he's painting the picture that they're uh, on an airplane and the stewardess basically announces, Hey guys, uh, today we have a special thing. We have, you know, this high speed Wi-Fi that's going to be available. It's the first time it's ever been in an airplane and people are like, Oh, cool. You know, they try to log into it. Uh, unfortunately, a couple of minutes later, <laughs> a couple of minutes later, they say, the stewardess says, sorry, we're having some issues with the Wi-Fi. It's going to go down. And the joke is like that. One of the guys who's sitting there was like, like, damn, like, I can't believe this. Like, this is ridiculous. And he's like, uh, the comedian is basically saying, you know, just a minute ago, he was so excited and it was such a new thing and everything. And then it was taken away. And now he's upset that it got taken away from him, even though it was like a gift to begin with. Like, like they are like, because they were given it, they were already entitled. There's like a depth Mm. to the joke and Mm. um, a kind of a a lesson there, I would say as well. Totally. That's beautiful. (laughs) So I try never to be like that. Like, if you know, if on the flight they offer me, they're gonna, they say they're gonna, you know, offer me some food and they don't give it, like I don't say, like, oh, I can't believe, like they promised me, like it's like, oh, well, I mean, it was a good offer, like it did, just didn't go through. It's okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, totally. So, where do plant medicines fit into the healing journey? I wanna talk oh. a little bit about the traditions of psychedelic entheogen use. Um, 
and lay a little framework for some people who might be new to the shamanic traditions in that uh, shamanism is a term that covers a wide range of different cultures, different practices, different rituals across the earth. And it's kind of just a blanket term for understanding purposes, but there's traditions of shamanism where they do not use any substances or plants. They use things like, you know, the drum behind you, ritual dance, uh, and those, those manner of things. And there's other traditions that use plant medicines, like ayahuasca, for example, uh, psilocybin in South America, peyote, San Pedro, uh, Amanita muscaria, etc. Every tradition kind of has its own uh, psychedelic. Um, the psychedelic of the Western culture is, you know, alcohol and <laughs> nicotine and coffee, but there's still psychedelics in some sense um, and cannabis now in Oregon, at least. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I want to hear a little bit about your, your view on plant medicines and what place they have in healing. Oh, I think plant medicines have an in, an integral part in healing um, mm. as long as they're used with that intention, right? Mm. Uh, there's uh, like the, the, the archetype of the snake, right, is, is, a, is an apt metaphor right now. Uh, the snake is, uh, carries within it both poison and um, antidote, mm. right? And uh, snake represents transformation, right? And just in that same sense, all of those medicines that you were just mentioning, uh, you know, psychedelics and uh, any drug really uh, has that potential to be incredibly healing and transformative or incredibly detrimental to one's health, right? And uh, I would say that the biggest thing behind it is, is intention and responsibility. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, for my, my personal use uh or my personal experience rather uh you know it was i think uh psilocybin when i was 20 was the first was the first like psychedelic experience that i had um and it was you know obviously mind-blowing right uh and it was done not necessarily in a like in a super intentional healing setting mm -hmm. uh it was, you know, it was done. I did it with two of my closest friends in an art gallery. So that in itself was pretty magical. <laughs> um, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, but, but after having gone through that process, I, I saw something that I had never recognized or had at least forgotten about since I was a very young child. Right. Um, which was, my soul something deeper than uh than what mainstream society will like really speak to and it was that it was that that really caused me to become aware of my like inner scape so to speak and be like wow there's a lot of stuff in here mm. there's so much in here and so I had this thought of like, well, if I can, you know, take a substance and get here, then there must be a way for me to get here without taking a substance. And so that's been, you know, essentially the, the, the last 13 years of my life is how do I, how do I maintain that high, uh, uh, free from or separate mm. from, uh, uh, substance. Right. And so 
uh, I'm actually at a point where I, like I can't even smoke cannabis because it ta- it has a negative effect on me. Mm. Um, it just takes me down. Mm. Uh, which is you're which already is ca- such a good place on every day. Yeah, yeah, I, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's this saying that uh, Alan Watts mm. um, had about psychedelics, which I always think about. He said, you know, once you get once you uh, get the call, like hang up the phone. Uh, And uh, what he meant by that, uh, I think, is that, you know, psychedelics open a door for you, but they don't necessarily leave it open. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have an experience of possibly unity of understanding the nature of reality, the universe, Uh, traumas come up, like you deal with them, you feel like they're just done for you have such love for people or, you know, you have a terrible experience, you go through hell, you redeem yourself, whatever. Those are all typical kind of things that happen. But at the end of the day, it fades uh, fades away and you're back to just everyday mundane life, whatever that is for you, whether that's working or whether that's, you know, spiritual pursuit, it still goes back to the everyday. So my experience with uh, psychedelics has always been, it gives me something to work with. So after, you know, setting intentions, doing psilocybin, having a really deep experience afterwards, thinking about it, remembering it and trying to apply it. Sometimes it takes, you know, months or years, maybe even a lifetime to integrate some of the things that you had insights about or that you saw, that you experienced, that you felt. Um, So I view them a lot as a tool, like I don't think it's ideal at all to do them regularly. I think they should be a special thing, an mm. intentional thing. And I mm. think they're kind of like, uh, they're like nitro in a car. Like they speed boost your evolution in a sense, if you know how to use them. But then they could also become a crutch um, if you don't have other techniques to bring you into that state because they are a substance influencing you at the end of the day. And, you know, as you were mentioning with the snake being both you know, medicine and poison, that's uh, an ancient idea about healing is that some of the things that are poisonous are healing and some of the things that are healing are poisonous also. And you just Mm -hmm. need to know the right time, the right place, the right person uh, to get the best effects from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. The, you know, what, what you were talking about in terms of Alan Watts, right? There's, there's states and there's stages, Mm. right? Stages are, uh, stages are, uh, like the permanent places, you know, like, like you can, you can picture them as, as ladders on a lung and uh, a, a stage is when you've like leveled up, so to speak for good. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, all right, cool. Like once you get your, you know, your, your doctorate, you're a doctor for life. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you get this tripped out anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Right. And versus state, a state is a temporary mm-hmm. state of being. Right. And so, um, uh, plant medicines, uh, substances will, will put you, you, you will have a state experience of a stage, but mm. then you'll come back down to the stage that you uh, that you have successfully integrated with. Right. Mm. And so, yeah, just as you're, just as you're saying the, uh, the actual like time of 
sitting with the medicine, you know, you have this experience, state experience of this stage, you see what's possible, right? It's the deepening process. And then the real work starts when the next day, right? When you're like, cool, you're back in your everyday life. How do you integrate, just as you were saying, Mm -hmm. how do I integrate that experience, that healing into my everyday life? And that's Mm -hmm. the importance of living the ceremony, Mm -hmm. right? Like the ceremony is not it's not a, it's not a, it's not a once and done kind of thing. It's a, it's an ongoing continual process. And that's, uh, something that I have seen so many people like fail to get is, you know, they go to, uh, a ceremony, whatever kind it is, and they have this really incredible time. And then the next day, you know, they're back to doing whatever. I mean, like you see it with, with, people doing yoga you know like they're like they're on the phone they're like all right well you tell that motherfucker and blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. no they come to yoga and they're yeah. like, okay hmm, oh money pod make <laughs> they get super like blissed out and then mm-hmm. as soon as off the mat okay is that motherfucker take care of yeah, yeah, yeah. or they or they just go hang out with their friends and like do coke or yeah, something like that yeah, like some just know? just completely like hypocritical almost yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, I mean, like, and like all of that work, right, is mm. it's, it's, a, it's healing. It's, it's, uh, it's here to be healing, right? So yoga is not a physical practice. Uh, it's a spiritual practice. Yeah. Right? And, and healing is all in the application of it, right? Like, the interesting thing is, if you go to psychotherapy or something, mm. and somebody works through one of your issues, it feels like it's solved, right? Like maybe it's not like the anxiety about it. It's not necessarily there. But the interesting thing is you don't know until the same situation happens and you have that choice. Maybe if you have the mindfulness to have a, not a reaction, but have make a choice of how you're going to react to it. That's when, you know, and that one, just even one time of the same situation happening and you reacting differently I think that's healing because mm. you just planted a seed of something else is possible. When somebody says this, I don't have to have the reaction that I always had. I can have a different reaction. And I think yes. that's what uh, uh, psychedelic medicines can offer is sometimes that insight and space so that when we are confronted with our fears, doubts, or something in our life that bothers us, we have, so to speak, another route because we know something else is possible. We know some other way of viewing the world is possible, that it's, you know, just within our minds. There's an interesting thing uh, that really resonated with me. I read about uh, some psychedelic research. They're basically saying that a lot of the healing aspect of psychedelics is through the experience of them. It's not necessarily that, you know, people who do psilocybin one time with major depression and there's some results of you know they don't have major depression for a few months after just doing one trip what they were saying is it's it's not just the chemical influence it's not like an ssri where you take it and it does something to your neurotransmitter serotonin increases it in the brain so then therefore you're happy of course psychedelics have those kind of effects but what the researcher was arguing was that the experience is healing the experience is like someone Mm -hmm. learns something for real. It's not like theoretical Mm -hmm. or abstract. It's Mm -hmm. happening to them. So that has, there's no way that that can't influence them for, for better or worse. Um, Hopefully for better with psychedelics. I think 
good preparation, being around good people, uh, educating yourself on it, or finding a practitioner who can help you with it are the ways to the ways to go about it for sure. If you want to get the most benefit from it with the least risk, because you know, if you just take psychedelics very casually, like you know, you go out with friends and take shrooms at a party type of deal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can have a freaking terrible experience. Mm-hmm. It can be a great experience, but it's really, you're really rolling the, uh, the dice with that thing, especially if the people you're with are not really your friends, you know, mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. that's a weird place to be in when you're hanging around people who realize <laughs> are not really your friends. Um, yeah. uh, shrooms will show you that uh, as opposed to, you know, doing in the South American tradition of uh, the, the dieta, the specific diet you do, and uh, lifestyle you do before psychedelics to purify yourself or setting intentions like journaling, having like an idea of what you're trying to get to it. I always like to come to it with a specific deep life question. Like uh, one of the times it was, you know, when I was trying to decide, should I go to naturopathic school or what should I do with my life? Like that was like a crossroads in my life that I felt like I could use some input from, you know, the mm-hmm. the plant medicine spirits of, you know, where should I go? Like show me the options and, and that kind of thing. And I think it's, it's really, at least for me, that's a really good way to use it is coming to it as like a tool for like a solution to like a deep thing, not like, you know, how am I going to pay rent this week? Like, although that could be, you know, if you microdose or something, maybe that's the answer, like to give you some creativity about that. Uh, But more like, you know, who's the right person for me? Or am I living the life I want? Or what do I do? Where do I move? What do I work in? What's my life's mission? Those are good questions to ask and journal and think about before. And then the medicine oftentimes will give you the answers that you look for in a way that's very hard to doubt their validity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely. It's so powerful in that way, right? Um, I mean, as you said, it's the experience going through it. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the brain, the brain doesn't learn, doesn't change with knowledge alone, right? Mm-hmm. It needs that experience. And that is the thing with, uh, with, with psychedelics, um, uh, specifically some of the, some of the more stronger ones like ayahuasca is you know you, you get to go through these past experiences maybe uh and see them from a different light and that's you know it's kind of like emdr in that sense where you get to reprogram them right mm. you you have this you have the experience of responding differently to these traumas that you've had in your life where historically um, the response that you have to a to a traumatic trigger is one of contraction and restriction and into that like mm-hmm. fight or flight survival mode um, and that's you know what runs your life and as you have that experience of seeing that and being able to like respond in a more open way, right? Then your body, your brain is literally learning that experience. Like, oh yeah, okay. Like this trigger is, uh, is actually okay. Mm. Um, so yeah, really fascinating that, it, um, that, 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 that is like that. And then there was another piece and it was over there. What was it? Um, oh, the, like going in with, with some kind of intentions, as you said, mm. you know, it was, a, it was crazy. The first time that I sat with, uh, that I sat with ayahuasca, I had like, I had like six, like six things that I wanted to, you know, address. Mm-hmm. And, 
um, by the end of it, I was like, yep, check, check. <laughs> check, check. <laughs> it was crazy it got so clear it's like damn you know what i was almost expecting you to say because this is also like a pretty uh, typical experience is you had like the six things and it just showed you 12 different things that you didn't yeah, even know totally. were a thing like and it and it basically just said that these six things are bs that you're asking about these are the things you need to actually focus on yeah there is that too there is that too for sure can you uh do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about your experience with ayahuasca? It's yeah, totally. uh, psychedelic that I haven't experimented with um, at all, but I hear a lot of great things. Uh, I hear a lot of bad things too. But can you just let's get into the landscape of ayahuasca? It's all true. It's all true. <laughs> everything is uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. Mm. Right. I mean, it's all perspective, right? I mean, there's ultimately there's no good. There's no bad. It's what mm. is what, what are you willing to accept and what are you not willing to accept that mm. translate to good and bad? Right. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, ayahuasca is, uh, uh, it's, it, it is, it is a powerful medicine. It is a powerful plant consciousness that speaks in a different language than you and I are used to. Um, and it can be an unpleasant, uh, experience. Absolutely. Uh, and, it's also the most blissful experience that I've had, mm. right? There's, uh, it's, it's very, it's very fascinating. So, you know, at first you, you drink a cup and you sit and it takes, I don't know, you know, depending, I mean, anywhere from shit, anywhere from five minutes to 50 minutes for it to come on. It just is completely depending upon what she wants to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I've had it come on really slow. I've had it come on really fast. I've had it feel like, um, like just millions of wasps wings, like fluttering through my veins. You know, if that makes sense, it's just Whoa. like, just like so catalytic and crazy. And, um, you know, like the walls are just kind of like, like fractaling and cracking into you know, it's like the fabric of, exi mm. of existence is, is just falling down. And, um, and like, that sounds really cool. Right. Uh, and it sounds really terrifying cool. too. Yeah, totally. Sounds yeah, pretty yeah. damn terrifying. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It makes you, it makes you question everything, which is, mm. you know, when you have to question anytime anyone questions their sense of self, their identity, uh, it's, it's shaking. Yeah, totally. Very it's, very, it's very painful. So, um, you know, the, it, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, I've, I've gone, I've, I've sat through some very disturbing hells, like personal hells, mm. uh, where, you know, I mean, there's just like, I mean, I'm getting visions of like, Holocaust shit, uh, you know, like, yeah, like gas chambers and Jesus, you know, man, like, that's the, that seems uh, like the worst thing that you could picture in that kind of open receptive state. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, so there's just so much, mm -hmm. so much there, but then there's, you know, the, depending upon how you work with it and your adeptness at, you know, tr transversing all of it and whatever, um, you come to that place of stillness within you amidst that chaos, right? And and you go through it and 
and the the longer you can hold that focus that uh, that stillness then the deeper it will take you within yourself within your soul and uh and pull out this this little wound that keeps you from being you that keeps you from mm. your greatness mm. and it just lodges it and you get rid of it somehow right you sometimes you vomit sometimes you boop sometimes you fart sometimes you poop sometimes you sneeze sometimes you cry sometimes you laugh whatever mm. uh, that's all a purge um have you had the experience that when you're going through this personal hell when you shift your uh, awareness on your body your breath uh whatever techniques you're using that the experience completely changes um uh to a to a certain degree yes right the i mean you're gonna go through it one way or the other um it's just up to you how much you resist it mm. uh, and so by by the stillness that i'm talking about right by coming to that internal stillness within uh that is this the point of least resistance which means that you will flow through it with the with the most ease and it will be the quickest and it will be the less it will be the least painful mm. um and it doesn't that's not to say that it's all like rainbow and sunshine right yeah i've i've had the experience with psilocybin that when it's first coming up especially if it's a really high dose it could be really really terrifying actually mm, yeah. so you feel like you know that ego death that dissolution that's always very scary Mm -hmm. um, and then you don't know what exactly to do and you know you're under the influence and you don't you can't really get out of it like once you press that button like you're in for a couple hours like there's no getting <laughs> off the ride so be sure like you know you know what you're paying for like with the ticket you're buying because um, mm -hmm. you can't get off it uh, for good or for good or bad for for bliss or hell mm -hmm. uh, one of my experiences though I was in this particularly terrified state where it was just like an existential terror Hard to describe mm -hmm. it, but it wasn't even like a panic attack. It was like, I wasn't even panicking. It was just an existential terror, like deep in my body of being just afraid of not existing or something. It wasn't even like death. It was like non-existence. Yeah. And um, it was so bad that and this was like 30 minutes into it. I took a really high dose of like a lot of the psilocybin shavings and I took it in an empty stomach with orange juice. So it, you know, <laughs> it hit me like, um, like a truck carrying bricks like all at once. And I was, I just, I was like, I felt it. I like looked around and I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. I looked around. I looked at my friend and I just looked at him and I'm like, okay, it's happening. <laughs> had that, had that like, you know, that like look of fear that someone has when it first starts kicking in anyway. So I go down this terrible, you know, loophole. There's something on the TV about the universe. It's like one of those like documentaries uh, with those, you know, deep voice narrators who talks about, and the cosmos is so large and vast and at any moment it could end. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, I was just like dying internally, like watching this, uh, thing on the TV. Cause I was like realizing like this guy is talking about like facts. He's talking about this like universe we're in these planets and it could end at any moment and the sun could explode. And I was just like, this is all like real. Like hard to believe. It seems like abstract, even though we live right in it. Anyway, mm -hmm. so my choice at that moment was I literally just completely surrendered. Yes. I I laid down and I said to myself, you know, I'm willing to die. Like I'm not going to resist this. Like I'm just going to let it happen. If if this is what's going to happen, if I'm dying right now, that's what's happening, and that's just it. Like it's okay. 
Um, and I basically just decided to completely let go. Um, and the wildest thing is, um, I don't remember exactly what happened when I was in the state. I just remember like all sorts of lights and tunnels and mm. all sorts of things. Like I don't mm -hmm. have a specific memory. I, I kind of mm -hmm. wish I did have mm -hmm. more of it. But when I like, when I woke up maybe like 15 minutes later, I, I just had such a deep conviction that death is not like real, that death is mm -hmm. not like possible, that death isn't what we think it is at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then for the, for the remaining six or seven hours of, of this uh, trip that I was having, it was just 100% blissful. It was 100% awareness. Mm -hmm. It was 100% no fear. It was 100% mm -hmm. I knew my place in the universe, mm -hmm. had like deep, deep love. And what was even kind of strange too is that I wasn't even really like hallucinating or anything. I was, I felt like I almost, um, I transcended the shrooms in some sense. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. Like the chemical effect bumped me up and then my mind and consciousness just went to a level that's not even affected by it. Like mm -hmm. where it was just such an elevated state that I wasn't even uh, necessarily seeing anything or hallucinating. I was just very, very aware. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And that just goes to show like one of the most important things I think for psychedelics, for dealing with bad experiences, you know, bad trips is not resisting and accepting yes. and surrendering because mm -hmm. you realize the pain and terror you feel that is nothing other than your own resistance to it. Like that is your own resistance that causes that pain. Once you accept it, my experience has been, that the existential terror, and this has happened more than once to me too, as well mm -hmm. with psilocybin, the existential terror becomes indescribable bliss within a fraction of a second. It just completely flips. Like it goes from here to there. It just transforms. And it's all about not resisting it because if you resist it, it's like you just keep spiraling downwards faster and faster and faster. And it's just amazing how far into hell you can go on these substances and how, how terrified you can be while still being like awake and not passing out from like fear or something. Mm -hmm. um, but then the second you just like let go, you surrender, you just accept mm -hmm. death. Then it's like you have like that rebirth and, mm -hmm. um, and then you have like the bliss of life. And I think there's a deep lesson in that of every day that everything that's negative in our life, it's, uh, it has a potential to be transmuted into happiness and love. Uh, and that's actually maybe what it's there for in, in some sense. Uh, that's the alchemical tradition is that transmuting lead into gold, transmuting the dark matter of the mind and the body into gold or enlightenment or uh, sight, wisdom, light. Yeah. Um, and that's not just an abstract concept. That's something that if you do a psychedelic and you have that very negative emotion, that if you bring your awareness to it, you might actually see happen to you in a way that's very hard to explain. Yes, 100% to everything that you just yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, surrender, right? That is, that is the, um, the ultimate lesson to life of to accept all that is, to allow what is to be right and the yeah to, to apply that to life like as we go through life i, I don't want to say everything uh but the majority of things that we really don't like there's a lesson mm. 
in all of it, right? And it's just a matter of training yourself to listen for the lesson because it's pointing to something that you have a hard time accepting within yourself. Mm. And if you can just surrender to what is happening, you can heal that that part of yourself and then get that get to that same level of bliss. Mm. And there's a there's a saying with uh, uh, Rumi had that I think is very wise. Uh, it's part of a larger poem, but the famous quote from it is, uh, the wound is where the light enters. Mm, totally. Um, and I was kind of pondering that yesterday. I think, what does that mean? The wound is where the light enters. Um, and I think it's it's what we're talking about here is that at like the absolute pinnacle of darkness of your life, like rock bottom uh, in your life, or rock bottom in like a state of consciousness, like whether it's like a panic attack or, you know, just like a deep depression that there is hidden within that some, some invisible light that can shine if you look at it the right way. And not only finding it, not only does it bring you back to normal, it brings you above normal. It makes Mm. you, if you go through that you know, that terror or that depression and you see the light within Mm. it, you don't come up back to baseline, you go above it. And now you're a different person. Kind of like the, I like the example you talked about of the stages versus states. I think Mm. that's, that's a really good framework to put over uh, psychedelics because Mm -hmm. it's a super uh, common experience too, that the first time someone does it, they have such a, you know, unity experience that now mm-hmm. they think they know everything and they think yeah. they're like a guru and they start like wearing, they start wearing like beads and like burning incense. And they think they're like a spiritual master. And they're like, yes, setting boundaries, setting back. Ba- like they just start being like ridiculous. Um, whereas as you do it more and more, you start realizing like the less you actually know, like if you think, you know, you don't. And like, mm-hmm do plant medicine and it'll show you, it'll smack you in the face if you come to it with knowing something. Um, uh, and it, it's strange. Like sometimes you could be expecting a really bad trip and have a completely blissful one. And sometimes you could be expecting a really good trip and have a terrible one. And even more importantly is that most likely it's going to be all the above within the mm-hmm. same experience. You're going to go yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah. But that's, that's the nature of the mind, right? Like, I think psychedelics just amplify the minds of what it already is. Like mm-hmm. sometimes we feel anxious, sometimes we feel scared, sometimes we feel love, happiness, joy, fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And usually just throughout like an hour or a day or a week or a month, like it all fluctuates. You just get that, like throw jet fuel into it and have it all happen in a couple of hours of like exactly. months of those kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's I view them kind of as like a catalyst, but they won't mm-hmm. do the work for you. They'll um they'll help you do the work and then they help hard and they help you in ways you don't want to be helped also. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, it, it's, it's, that ceremony is a microcosm for life and they, they teach you how to notice, right? Noticing is the work because in every moment we have a choice and that is how do we respond to anything that's going on? Right. I can, I can either be unconscious and react and just like, you know, go through my life and like, just kind of like being driven by life, right? Mm-hmm. Or I can be conscious, present, and aware and choose, oh, this is happening. I'm going to respond like this because that's the type of person that I want to be. 
Mm. It's there's a kind of a, a little bit of a paradox there uh, mm. in terms of like no mind going with the flow and unconsciousness, uh-huh. right? Because they uh-huh. seem to be similar in some sense. Like uh, uh, sometimes going with the flow is equated with actually really what is unconsciousness, which means like just being reactive, just going through the motions and not really being aware of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But no minds or being aware is not that. It's it's going with the flow, but you're aware of the flow. You're never uh, asleep or distracted by the flow. You're always in your center, even through the flow. That's the difference between unconsciousness and the kind of no minds going with the flow, which is actually unconsciousness is like a level here. Normal consciousness is here and no mind is like above it. Mm-hmm. And, but they, they both look like each other mm-hmm. uh, because they're like, I don't know, maybe like polar opposites in some kind of sense where they have mm-hmm. a lot of similarities for that reason, because mm-hmm. they both involve you not being aware of yourself in some way. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like the no mind state is you just are not as aware of a personal identity acting. You're just there, but you're more present than somebody who is unconsciously acting out. And they also don't feel like an identity is there, but the identity is driving them. It's a completely yeah. different thing. Yeah, exactly. And it, like, this is, I think a lot of that has to do with, with healing, Right. Like that's the, and that's kind of the point of, um, you know, the, the course that I teach tools for mastery is, is, uh, you've got to clear the past traumatic programming, uh, that will allow you to get out of the subconscious, the unconscious and into that no mind state. Because if you, if, if you haven't done like your work, so to speak, right? If you if if you're just letting all of your past traumatic conditioning and programming drive you, right, then you're not going to be able to get into that flow because you're too worried. You're too you're too in your own shit. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so by by going through and like really noticing uh what is driving you and then doing the work to to uh to integrate with that, um, that is what will allow you to get up into that state of no mind it's it's how do you relate to these pieces of you right and that's what i think zen um is a a big part of zen is uh how do you relate to what is Mm. and there's there's certainly a a silly response to what is and there's a wise one right the the silly one is to resist it because Uh if you think about it you're resisting what is and you're not changing it um we do that a lot though, like in yeah. our lives, like if something happens that you don't want to happen, all it is, is you resisting what is, and it never helps. Like the only thing that helps that is seeking maybe, well, actually the only thing that helps I think is accepting it. Cause that's the first state you say, okay, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. Then the next state is, well, what can I do about it? Oh, I can't do anything about it. Okay. Then I just accept it. Or, mm-hmm. or what can I do about it? I can do something about it. I'll do it. But like, there's no need for negative emotion uh, about it in some sense mm-hmm. although that is hard to apply in practice especially with things that are very emotionally triggering for us mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a it's a practice right just as you said it's continual notice of those triggers being triggered and coming back to that mm. oh, okay here's that thing again and you know so there's i was thinking of the story a little earlier um i think it was whatever um it's there's this little story it's uh my life in four short chapters okay so a uh, guy walks out of his house walks down the street falls in a hole uh chapter two 
uh, guy walks out of his house, walks down the same street, uh, sees the hole, falls in the hole. <laughs> Chapter three, guy walks out of his house, down the same street, sees the hole, walks around the hole. Chapter four, guy walks out of his house, chooses a different street. Mm. Right? And the, the point of that is essentially saying that it takes time. It takes work. You know, you're not going to, yeah. you're not going to be healed. You're not going to be suddenly like, you know, responding like your ultimate self, uh, by doing one thing once. That makes me think of, uh, have you ever seen Groundhog Day? That classic yeah. movie where he's yeah. just like repeating that day over and over. And only when he finally gets it right. Mm-hmm. does he wake up from it? And that's kind of our lives in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's like the idea of us being asleep and that we're just trying to relive the same day over and over and over again until we get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then act differently in a sense. There's um, there's another thing to add in there too with uh, meditative practice. Um, many people get really discouraged when they try to meditate for the first time because they feel like their mind is racing and they just keep getting distracted. Um mm-hmm very important uh, lesson from some of these Zen teachings was that the actual act of training is bringing your attention back. So actually every time you're aware that you lost attention, you're actually doing the practice. That is the practice. The practice Mm -hmm. is seeing that you're not paying attention and bringing it back. And so if you're noticing that you're not paying attention a lot, that's good. That means you're noticing something that you usually don't notice and it bothers you and it should bother you, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's good yeah. that it bothers you and that you're trying to work on not being distracted in your everyday life, but it's actually the act of becoming aware of distraction and then bringing attention back. That is meditative practice. So uh, some people have this notion that meditation just sitting there with like an empty mind of no thoughts, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, don't skip 20 years, you know, like you're not going <laughs> to make it there in, in your first sitting. Um, there is that that does happen in deep meditative states, but it definitely doesn't happen by trying to avoid thinking like, cause that is thinking it's yeah, kind yeah. of a, you know, it's, it's a catch 22. If you try not to think you're actually thinking of not thinking. So you're still thinking, so you're right. still caught in the same thing. It's no different than yeah. if your mind was just wandering. It's just a different yeah. kind of mind wandering. Yeah. 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 Noticing is the work, right? It's like, Oh, there's that. Bring it back. Totally. Spot mm-hmm. on. What advice would you give to people who have never tried psychedelics, but are interested in trying them or interested in learning about them? What would you tell them as like some wisdom besides what we already spoke about from your experiences that you've learned? Uh, Boy, that's a big question. Uh, I mean, set and setting definitely are Mm. huge, you know, set and setting. Um, And what I mean by that is uh, where are you doing it? And who or what are you doing it with? Uh, you know, if you're if you're taking it and uh, you're gonna walk down the streets of New York, oof, that might not be a good idea. Probably um, not. Yeah. You know. However, if you're gonna like go out into nature and take it, that's a great idea. Uh, however, if you don't feel safe in nature, just naturally, if you're just like kind of always scared uh, out in nature, that might not be the best place to start, right? Maybe you want to start in your room um, where you feel nice and secure with some good music um, and uh, just being gentle with yourself, starting small. Uh, and uh, I would I would uh, say that getting a sitter would be 
very helpful for a lot of people too. Like someone who uh, either has experience or doesn't um, and have them not on the medicine or uh, at least a very small dose of it so that they can, you know, be like, Hey, like we're good. Like you're safe, you know, like everything's okay. Um, that would, that would probably be my advice. Those are, if you could get those bases down, you're, you're going to be in a very good way. Um, as opposed to just doing it because someone offers it at a party. That's, that's a recipe for like an extreme disaster and like the closing off of a road that maybe would have been good for you. Like, cause you have, all it takes is like one horrible experience to be like, I will never touch anything related to that. And that's a, that's a damn shame is what it is because it doesn't have to be like that. If you, if you view it. So, um, I'm happy we're talking about this because anyone who's interested in it hears this, they'll at least uh, plant a seed of thinking about being more intentional about, Mm -hmm. uh, about doing it. And even something like cannabis can be very Mm -hmm. intentional and psychedelic if you do it in the right mindset with the proper set and setting. So set means like mindset, that's like journaling, meditating, whatever you need to do to get in the right mode of, uh, being where you, you feel good. And then setting is like where you are, like, you were saying either in nature or in your room, somewhere you feel safe around people you feel safe with around Mm -hmm. people that you feel like you can say anything to. Those are the people that you'd want to either have as your sitters or have it do it with you uh, to Mm -hmm. also share in the, in the medicine. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So in your, in your life, how many uh, psychedelic experiences would you say you had? Like how many times have you done ayahuasca? How many times have you done psilocybin? Uh, you know, honestly, not that many times. <laughs> um, let's see, psilocybin seven times, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and ayahuasca, uh, like 10, 10 nights, maybe. Okay, um, yeah, something like that. So, not so you know, not very, I mean, more than more than others and less than <laughs> some, so, you know, right? Right, right, exactly. Um, and uh, who knows what the right amount is. It's, it's so, um, it's so personal. I mean, I still remember a psilocybin trip I had like maybe eight years ago and I still think about it like every week. So mm-hmm. one, one experience yeah. is enough for a lifetime in some sense, because uh, like you were saying, it shows you a stage that's far ahead of you. It could, you could even be looking 10 stages ahead, like where you still have nine more to go in your actual everyday sober life. So you might just get a, a peak of divine unity, but like there's many, many layers to that cake to, to rise through <laughs> totally. first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where can people, um, where can people find out more about you, CJ, or sign up for uh, spiritual um, advising and the other things that you offer? Uh, people can go to uh, my website, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash <laughs> ever becoming dot me. Mm. Uh, that's ever becoming dot me. The point of that is because, uh, oh, you know, what that means essentially is none of us are done. Like, you know, you hear people say, oh, I've done my work. It's like, no, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've done some of your work, right? <laughs> but you haven't done the work. Right. Um, and so it's, you know, we're like, it's just a, it's a continual process. So yeah, ever becoming dot me. Um, and would love to hop on a, hop on a, call with anyone or you know help anyone out in whatever way i can awesome sounds amazing are you on uh social media at all like instagram facebook yeah i am uh yep uh 
Instagram is at CJ Vashuta, C-J-V-A-S-H-U-T-A-H. Uh, and same on Facebook. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I definitely want to have you back on because this cool. conversation was amazing. Um, we have obviously plenty to talk about. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you know about that. But if you like the episode, uh, be sure to subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube and uh, follow me, Dr. Dan under slash medicine man on Instagram. Um, you can also go to my website, drdans.org, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-A-N-S.org. I'm offering a free herb consult uh, initially to people, sharing some of my naturopathic herbalism knowledge with you guys for free. Um, yeah, so get in touch and uh, keep listening to the podcast if you like it, because we're we're trying to share um, natural medicine, alternative health, have you know real conversations about these topics. Um, and uh, and be honest about our, our views. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, Doctor Dan, it's been it's been awesome. Thank you very much for uh, for having me on here. I can't wait to ha- be on here again and talk about even more. Cool it's stuff. a pleasure. I feel like I'm kind of more in like a no mind state after this conversation. <laughs> I feel like I like totally. shifted realms or something. So yeah. so thank you for that. I appreciate that. I hope yeah. hope you guys listening also feel the same thing. And yeah. uh, if you're driving, enjoy work. <laughs> and be mindful. Be mindful. And loving to yourself. And if you hate your job, quit it. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to stop giving advice. (laughs) 